um, again, that we believe you're here, your presence is here, um, that we're not just um, rehearsing some kind of history lesson, but we actually believe that your presence is here at the corner of 3rd and Lincoln on this date, in this year, in this time and place, and that we're here, and if we're here and you're here, that means you can say stuff to us, you can talk to us, we can listen to you, and so we pray by your Holy Spirit you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, how you want to challenge us, encourage us, um, and help us to become the men and women and girls and boys that you designed us to be full of your life, uh, flowing out for others. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Opening statement is this. It seems arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way to God. Right? We live in Bloomington, Indiana. It seems arrogant to say that, that Jesus is the only way to God. I mean, some of you I'm sure have thought that before. If you really just think about it, it seems arrogant to say and believe that Jesus alone, only, exclusively, is the way to God. I mean, couldn't we say something like, in the next slide there, couldn't we say Jesus is one way to God? I've heard people say that. Well, he's one way to God. And then another, uh, actually a friend of mine, will say, Jesus is the way to God for me. And... and you know, we all wrestle with, okay, this feels kind of arrogant. And I've actually had people tell me that you Christians seem arrogant about this. And, and let's be honest, sometimes we communicate in very arrogant ways. So let's be honest about that. But is it possible or should we at least attain to what the very popular bumper sticker tells us to do? And that is, should we just coexist? How many people have seen that bumper sticker? Probably this week you've probably seen it. You know, interesting enough, if you, if you just drive around Bloomington and just look for bumper stickers, it's incredible in Bloomington. I mean, if you have one, and here's, here's the general rule. If somebody has more than one bumper sticker, they probably have 10. It's either one or 10, all right? Um, I saw one the other day that was, I, anyway, I won't, it was, I'm just like, but when you, when you start paying attention to bumper stickers, but this is one, you know, coexist, the, you know, it's the, the Muslim symbol, the peace sign, kind of the gender, transgender sign, uh, uh, Jewish star of David, um, some Eastern religion, uh, pagan, the little dot on the eye is kind of a pagan Wiccan kind of thing. And of course, people that cross in there, but can't we just all equally get along and communicate a little bit of, can't we be a little more tolerant? And do we have to say that, we have to use the word only because isn't that arrogant? And doesn't that put us in the category of narrow-minded, bigoted people? And we don't want to be narrow-minded, bigoted people. We don't want to be perceived that way. We don't want to be that way. But what do we do with that? What we're going to look at today, what we have been looking at the last few weeks is Jesus' Thursday night conversation with his disciples. When I say Thursday night, it was the night he was betrayed, arrested, and then the next day is when he was tortured and beaten and crucified. So these five chapters of the Gospel of John, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, was this whole conversation. It starts off with Passover dinner. Uh, it was kind of the, the religious spiritual celebration. There would have been a long table like this, and there would have been Jesus. And at that time, 12 of his, of his very close friends, we call his disciples, were sitting around the table going through the, the uh, r- r- ritual of the Passover celebration, celebrating and remembering God setting them free from 
Egypt. So the cup of wine, unleavened bread, lamb, proper uh, recitation of different parts of the Old Testament Jewish Bible. And this would have been their uh, celebration together. Jesus knew what was coming. They had no idea, the rest of the disciples. Uh, this is the night where Jesus, he washed his disciples' feet, which again, that's only something the lowest of Gentile slaves do. And Jesus is setting a whole, you know, the picture over there on the wall, the serve and lead comes from that, come that situation where Jesus is washing their feet in a way that totally flips upside down leadership and what it means to live in the way of Jesus. Uh, it also tells us in the early part of this meal that, that Satan had already entered into Judas, had already planted a seed in Judas to do something evil and wicked and betraying of Jesus. And so we talked a lot about how, how Satan loves to kind of plant seeds inside of us to betray and to do things in those kind of ways. And uh, Jesus talks about that he was very troubled. Jesus was very troubled, not in a mental psychotic way, but in an emotional way where he, was, he knew what was coming down the pike for him was going to be something that was rather painful and challenging. And then he also challenged them in a way that... Uh, we don't, none of us still even understand the ramifications when he said, bottom line is, guys, love each other. If you love one another, the rest of the world's going to see things about me that they ha- would never see unless you love each other. It's incredible. He said it was a new command. But then here's where we go. Uh, this is the end of 13. And we're going to hit a phrase. We're going to talk about, you know, this, the potential perceived arrogance of Jesus being the only way. This is Jesus saying to the disciples, again, sitting around this table, they've probably finished their meal. They're probably somewhat full, but they're uh, listening. They're not falling asleep, of course. Dear children, I will be with you only a little while longer. And he had said that in the preceding chapters. I'm not going to be with you a little while longer. And they didn't understand that. They, they didn't get it. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. This we talked about a couple weeks ago. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Again, they, they, Jesus had been hinting around leaving and going and going somewhere. And they're like, and Jesus replied, you can't go with me now but you'll follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Keep going. Oops. Wow. I can't read the Bible. You know what? We can actually read out of a real Bible. (laughs) I will do that. All right, chapter 14, verse 1. This is what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I'm going. All right? Keep in mind, remember the question Peter asked. Where are you going? We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, no, you know the way where I'm going. And then Thomas says, no, we don't, Lord. We don't know. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's that clause that feels, can feel like it's an arrogant assertion. 
No one can come to the Father except through me. If you really had known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a pretty, that's a pretty incredible statement. If you've seen me, you've seen God. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. All right, now, go to the next slide there, because this is the phrase, every week right, just grab on one phrase, this is the one phrase we're going to grab on today. No one, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus makes this claim that seems to, quite frankly, put him in a very unique position in world history and world religions. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, if you know other situations in the Bible, other Bible passages, this is often kind of paired with in our thinking what there's a, in, the, in the book of Acts chapter 4, and this would have been like, I don't know, seven, eight weeks after Jesus' resurrection, Peter and John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, are, uh, end up, they, they, they pray and, a, and a, a man is healed, a lame man is healed. Peter and John are brought before the Jewish rulers because they're causing all kinds of trouble because they're still talking about this Jesus guy who they said raised from the dead. And the Pharisees tell Peter and John, they don't tell them stop healing people. They say stop healing people in that name, in the name of Jesus. They, they don't care they're doing good works. Just don't do good works in the name of Jesus. And they say in reply, but there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Again, what it sounds like an arrogant assertion. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And then Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7, he says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow, there's a narrow road that leads to life. And he talks about the narrow gate. So if we talk about a narrow gate or a narrow road to life, are we then open to the charge of being narrow-minded, arrogant, and um, just not sensitive to the culture anymore? And how do we deal with no one can come to the Father except through me, there's no other name, and there's a narrow gate? Because it doesn't seem to leave much room for wiggle. So... Um, let's go back to this phrase here when Jesus says no one can come to the Father except through me imagine for a second if Jesus would have spoken this in a room like a Starbucks in Bloomington, Indiana let's think of what's in Bloomington, Indiana alright go ahead and hit the next one there okay the top left we have the Tibetan Buddhist monastery it's about a mile from my home that's the gate going into the monastery um, Buddhism would not claim that Jesus is the only way to know God. Then we have an Islamic center. I mean, isn't this kind of exclusivism that Jesus talks about, isn't that the kind of religious fanaticism that caused 9-11 anyway? I mean, shouldn't we kind of tone down our rhetoric? So we have the Islamic center in town. Uh, we had the Jewish center, Jewish synagogue on 3rd Street just uh, east of town. 
and I just included in there the uh, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, um, and there's other, and I could have taken numerous pictures in Bloomington. But would Jesus have said the same thing if, he, if you were sitting with him? Let's say we're having the Passover meal at Panera Bread or whatever. Um, they, I don't know if they have unleavened bread, but anyway. Would Jesus say the same thing? Here and now, would Jesus say, no one can come to the Father except through me? And and, and literally, go back a second, go back a second. In literally th- two minutes, three minutes drive, you can go to each one of those four places from Panera Bread. So is Jesus just stuck in a cultural paradigm and if he were here today wouldn't he say otherwise wouldn't he I mean wouldn't he say yeah but you can find God in all these things and again let's be honest it 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 feels arrogant at times to say well no you can't no 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 but Jesus appears to be saying that but not in an arrogant way now, when you look at these things, okay, our first reaction is, okay, well, those things are all outside of the circle. They're outside of the circle that we've drawn for ourselves. And, um, but let's look a little bit at the circle of the, the Jewish people had drawn for who was in and who was out. All right, let's go to the next slide here. Are there other... Okay, we have some PowerPoint issues here. I'll tell you what it says. On the, I'll tell you what it's supposed to say in those white boxes. And if I had like a, a, a whiteboard pen, I'd write on there. All right. Uh, You remember Jesus healed a Roman centurion's slave. And Jesus said to this Roman centurion, a Roman who was a pantheistic religious person, worshipped many gods. And Jesus said to this Roman man, wow, I've never seen such faith in Jerusalem. And he was a Roman pantheistic, not at all stated the right kind of theology kind of person. Then you have a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites were up in the northern north of Israel, and they were the Gentiles, and they also had kind of these weird cultic, pantheistic, they had Baal. They still worshiped the Baal god and these idols. But yet the Canaanite woman had a daughter that needed the healing of, from Jesus. She came to Jesus, and Jesus said, wow, I've never seen such faith. Faith in this non not in the circle person, all right? Then you have the non-religious scum the Pharisees were upset with because Jesus hung out with these tax collectors and prostitutes who, yeah, they were Jewish by birth, but they were non-practicing Jews, and they were just kind of scum is what... uh, And Jesus healed and brought life to them, and then he goes to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans, they were heretics. They had the wrong ideas about God. They were heretics, but Jesus speaks to this woman, and she comes to faith. Now, let me make it really clear here. The Bible is clear in teaching, and I believe, and Exodus would affirm this clearly, there is no way to know God except through Jesus. All right? I'm not, I'm not fudging on that. There is one way to God, that's through Jesus. But, if I can say it this way, there are many ways to Jesus, and Jesus will go down any road he has to to get somebody to see him. All right? Understand the difference there? Because Jesus will go anywhere he has to. He'll go, into, he'll go to a Roman pantheistic centurion. He'll go to a cultic worshiping idol Canaanite woman. He'll go to this non-religious sinful scum, and he'll go to these heretic people and he'll show himself to them, and they will have faith in him. They will know God through him. And sometimes we get so concerned about, oh, we, it, it, yes, Jesus is making unique, exclusive claims about himself. Yes, he is. 
but he's not making them about himself to build a wall so we can determine who's right and who's wrong. Jesus is right, okay? Can we just say Jesus is right? Um, and we can have absolute confidence in everything Jesus says about himself. There is no way to know God except through Jesus. And that's true for someone who goes to the mosque this week, someone who goes to the Jewish synagogue, who goes to the Latter-day Saints, who goes to uh, Tibetan, Munis- Tibetan Buddhist monastery. No one can know and experience the life-giving power and eternal life-giving energy and love of God apart from the name and the work of Jesus, all right? We don't always know exactly how that happens, but we do know it only happens with the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, all right? Now, you might say, well, you're kind of fudging, you're kind of using some qualifying language, partially because we don't know exactly how it happens. If, if you and I were disciples sitting around the table and, and, and within a few weeks you would have been told that you're going to be going to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch who was anything but a Jewish monotheist God and that God was going to use you and that person's life to help them see Jesus, you would have been like, oh no, never, they're not part of the circle. They have to come into our circle and join our circle first before we can tell, before they'll believe. Or if when Jesus, when uh, the Holy Spirit sent some of these disciples just weeks and months later into Gentile country. Wow, we're going to hang out with Gentiles. They're like heretical, dirty. They're not part of our circle. And you see what Jesus loves to do? He loves to send us out of his, out of the circle we've created, which is true. But he loves to send us with his name, with his character and identity. And he loves to send us for the healing and wholeness of others. It's interesting, even in, in the book of Acts, when Peter and John, he, they, when they were upset, when the Pharisees were upset about them using the name of Jesus, in other times as well, it was often associated with when they did something that was healing or wholesome for another in the name of Jesus. Um, they weren't like arguing about Jesus. They were doing something in his name, and those people who had formerly been outside of the circle were welcome members of the life community of Jesus, not because they joined the circle first, but because those of inside the circle were sent out to engage others in healing, redemptive, life-giving, humble, but truthful ways. And there's a big difference there. Um, for us to stand... Maybe I shouldn't do it. I was going to stand on this stool, but I might hurt myself. Imagine me standing on the stool... And if, I, if I'm standing on the stool and I'm just saying to the rest of the Bloomington spiritual community, you don't understand Jesus is the only way to God. You're all wrong. Jesus is the only way to God. It's not real winsome, is it? I don't think it was, that, that's not the posture of Jesus. That wasn't the posture of Paul in the book of Acts when he went to, to uh, Greek towns where there were multiple gods. He seemed to have a he was inviting them to engage in the life of Jesus. He carried the life of Jesus. He knew it was only Jesus that would bring them hope. He wasn't, Paul didn't say, well, I see you have all these many gods, and I'm supposing there's going to be a way you're going to know God to these many gods. He said, no, I'm going to tell you the name of the God you've been looking for. His name's Jesus. So the stories of the Bible, nobody ever fudges on the name of Jesus, but they don't carry the name of Jesus like a baseball bat to beat people up. If anything, the name of Jesus was a, 
a way about their being that they brought healing and goodness and freedom to others. There's a huge difference there. Now, here's the question. I'm going to back up for a second here because what's interesting about this passage is the question that prompted Jesus' answer was the question, Jesus, where are you going? Remember Peter said, Jesus, where are you going? And then Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. Where are you going? Because sometimes I think we assume, and assume with some degree of good intention, we assume the question they were asking Jesus was, hey, Jesus, Jesus, what about the Muslims and the and the Jews and the Buddhists and the Hindus, what about them? What happens to them after they die? And we assume that was the question. That's when Jesus said, oh, no one can know God except through me. But that wasn't the question that prompted Jesus' answer. The question that prompted Jesus' answer was, where are you going? Why, Why can't you stay here with us and why can't we go with you? I mean, you feel the tension in those disciples when Jesus kept... 16 times on that night, at least recorded in the Gospel of John, Jesus said something about he was going away. I'm going away. I'm going to the Father who sent me. I'm going away. I'm going back to the Father who sent me. And they're like, what are you talking about? Why can't we go with you? I mean, it's the same exasperation you and I might feel when we don't feel like Jesus is with us telling us what to do all the time. Where are you? Where are you going? I don't know what's happening in my life. And here's what's interesting. Let's, let's look at this question from the focus of the disciples, of which many of us are. Because Jesus was telling them, if you want to know God, if you want to know the Father, if you want to know the life you've always wanted, that you've thought, known about from your youth, whether you're, you were a Jewish young boy or girl, whether you're any of us grown up in Midwestern or anywhere in the country kind of cities around the world. And Jesus says to us, you know, if you want to know if, the, if this Christian life experience you've had isn't what you thought it was, if it's not measuring up, I mean, we sang earlier about joy and peace and hope, and some of you, like me, may have been thinking, well, I'm not really sure if I'm overflowing in those areas of my life, so maybe I'm not doing something right, or maybe Jesus is holding out. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You can know the Father, but you can't know it except through, the, through me and through the way of Jesus. And he was talking to us first. Jesus wasn't talking to the Buddhists and the Muslims and the Hindus first. He was talking to us. Here's a question I'm going to pose, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. Are you living your everyday life in the way of Jesus? Jesus says, I'm the way. There is no other way to experience the kind of fullness of life, joy, peace, and hope that you've desired in life. There's no other way. It's narrow. It's exclusive and you who say you're my followers, stop trying to find other ways to make it happen. Because what we're really good at, I'm really good at, is I'm going to follow Jesus and, just in case, I'll make sure I make a little extra money on the side in case Jesus doesn't, or I'm going to follow Jesus and, yeah, I know this is the sexual habits I have really probably aren't really what the Bible would want me to do, but I'm going to hold on to Jesus and that because this is what I think I'm going to get life over here too, just in case Jesus. And we're always about Jesus and something else. And Jesus is not the exclusive narrow pathway. And I'm going to add a couple words here. 
Are you living your everyday life absolutely, completely, and unconditionally in the way of Jesus? Now, let's think about the way of Jesus that Jesus was telling the disciples this very night. His way was the way of self-denial, sacrifice, and death. His way was the way of serving, washing feet, washing dirty feet of people that would betray him and deny him. His way was kind of a downward mobility, not an upward mobility. His way was, I will do exactly what the Father tells me to do. It's the way of obedience, absolutely, completely, and unconditional obedience. Is there something in your life right now that you know God is telling you to obey Him in, and you just figured it's just one thing, it's not a big deal? Or is there some way in which God is causing, calling you to serve, get your hands dirty in the lives of other people, serve your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your parents in some way that really feels a little bit revulsive to you? Or is there some way in which God is at, put, Jesus is leading you down a way of suffering and perseverance? And I really don't want my friends to know I'm a Christian because they might laugh at me and I don't really like how they feel when I feel a little persecuted in a kind of a socially non-acceptable way. I don't like that. So I'm going to kind of hold my Christianity a little bit close to me because it's just a Sunday thing, right? But the way of Jesus is no fear of man, um, embracing suffering when it comes your way, embracing servanthood when God asks you to do it, obeying him in everything he asks you to do, just like Jesus said exactly what he tells us to do. So maybe the first question about this passage we need to ask ourselves is, are you living your everyday life absolutely Go back one more time. Absolutely, completely, and unconditionally in the way of Jesus. Is there some way in which you feel like you're holding out? You're holding back. You're not willing yet to jump into the deep end of the pool. And I, I'm saying this because I wrestle with this myself. There's things where I keep wondering. I wonder if, if I kind of let go of that a little bit more. Not, not like some capital S sinful thing, but maybe it's a sinful mentality I have that I didn't even realize was sinful about how I can find joy and happiness and life and security and all that stuff because I'm, you know, maybe I do need this and my bank account and this and I need these kind of friends and this kind of car and, I, you know, can I have Jesus and those things? But is there some way in which Jesus is saying, no, no, I am the way. I am the exclusive singular way and the way I have lived my life is the way that you will know God. Now, after we answer that question, then we go to the other now we'll go to the next slide here. If we are those kind of people, and I'm willing to say, I will live my life absolutely, completely, and unconditionally in the way of Jesus, we do that because then we become wide open vessels for the sake of others. Then the answer, then the answer to the question, well, what about those people who don't know of Jesus? We become those vessels. The book of Acts is a record of people who gave themselves absolutely, completely, and unconditionally to the way of Jesus. And they saw miracles. They were people were being healed. 3,000 in one day became Christians. Gen people outside the circle, the Gentiles, Greeks were becoming Christians. Not because they organized some really high-quality debate and won the debate but because these people were carriers of the powerful spirit of Jesus because they gave Jesus the right to do so. And they completely, absolutely, unconditionally would obey anything Jesus told them to do. Because sometimes we get it mixed up. Sometimes we think we were called by Jesus for some kind of exclusive club. 
perhaps we need to think, and perhaps the Bible teaches this, that we're called by Jesus to be part of an exclusive group of people that are called to give our lives away for the sake of other people. We're called for a mission. We're not called for a club. We're called for a mission. If you know somebody that, or you interact with people that are non-religious or, or other religions that we would say are inaccurate or they, they don't comply with the ways of Jesus, how may God want to use you in their lives? How may God want to use you or use us in changing the spiritual kind of atmosphere of Bloomington because we're not trying to argue about the name of Jesus, although we're willing to if we need to and God asks us to. We're not going to apologize for that. But the best argument is the argument of lives that are full of compassion, servanthood, and dying to ourselves for the sake of others. I saw, speaking of bumper stickers, I saw one yesterday. It was a quote from Gandhi. He said, I, the quote was something like, I can't remember exactly, because I, I, I had a camera next to my seat. I was going to take a picture of the bumper sticker, but I thought that might be kind of like stalking. I don't know. It was at a stoplight, and the light changed to green. And the, and the bumper sticker said, quote from Gandhi, I love your Christ... I do not like your Christians. I love your Christ, but I do not love your Christians. It's interesting. I remember I had a conversation with a Jewish rabbi one time, and I said, what do you do with Jesus? And she said, you know what? That's a really good question. Did you know that in Islam, the Quran teaches that Jesus will come back someday? And I asked this friend of mine who is Muslim, what about Muhammad? Does he come back? No, only Jesus comes back to the earth. I'm saying, really? What's he come back to do? Quran does not say. Interesting. I mean, Jesus shows up in places, and Jesus will go down any route he has to to get people. And he, will, he, he wants to use people like you and me. Not with a weapon of the name of Jesus, but with a towel with the name of Jesus on it. Go back to the finish up with my bumper sticker here. All right, here's the coexist bumper sticker. Let me, let me say, I could put that on my car. I could. Because I believe we're... Uh, I'm not going to. Uh, I could, though. I could put that on my car because I do believe we need, to, we need to model the way of love and loving our enemies. I know they're not all enemies, but loving people. I could do that if I had this other bumper sticker on my car as well. Here's the one I want to put on there. I trust Jesus absolutely, completely, unconditionally because he is brilliant. Brilliance is the attribute we give to somebody who we think has life figured out. So Jesus is brilliant. Can you imagine what that would do on your bumpers? If somebody was behind you at a stoplight, they'd be like, this person's weird. <laughs> no, it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. I, I'd probably make the red one a little bit bigger than the blue one, just to make sure people knew that. But I trust Jesus. And I guess the question is, could you put the red bumper sticker on your car? No, I don't have any made. We're not going to hand them out today and see who takes them and who doesn't. But could you put that on your car? Is that true of you? All right, last slide here before we take communion. Um, just affirming, we take communion every Sunday because we believe the, the, there is one way to know God. It's through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's through the way of Jesus. And what Paul writes to the church in Colossae, you know, years and years after the time of Jesus, he says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. In other words, Christ is unique in history. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth 
by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See, Jesus is not just a Messiah for American Christians. He's a Messiah. He wants to be the Messiah for every single human being on the earth. And we are then agents of that reconciliation. Other places in the New Testament, it says that we are the agents of reconciliation. We bring that message of life and peace and hope, not with a baseball bat to beat over people, but with a servant's towel. And in the name of Jesus, we bring healing to others. We bring wholeness to others. We bring hope to others uh, in the name of Jesus. Yes, we talk about Jesus. Yes, we'll engage in, in, in loving kind of debate and argument. But the best argument is you live your life in the way of Jesus, which is down on his knees washing people's feet. All right, let's pray. Jesus, you, uh, I think we're going to sing this song in a few minutes, but there's no one like you. Absolutely, positively, no one ever like you, no one will ever be like you, because you alone, you alone stand above all great teachers throughout history as the great teacher because you were the one sent from God. You stand above all great activists throughout history because you are the great activist bringing social justice and the justice that comes from God alone because you're sent from God. And so uh, we worship you, Jesus, alone. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices so that if you want to use us like you used the disciples or like you used Abraham or many other men and women throughout the Bible to go outside of our circle in the name of Jesus, serve and love and converse with others about you, Jesus, about your hope and life and joy, then here, here we are, send us. And as we come to your table this morning and remember you, may we also remember your way and the life you want to give us. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.